how do we go about simplifying the complicated with a level of detail that again shows that it's not that simple <laughs> honestly you're describing what programming is it you know pro programming <laughs> is is really that magic that that people don't really understand but it creates an outcome and the programmer's skill level is uh, often reflected in how easy it looks. Well, that's especially impossible. Not at all. It's very simple. Then explain it. Now that's impossible. On this episode of Resi Week, we talk Lego lessons, snaps, subscriptions, and cyber and resiliency. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. This is Resi Week, episode 415, Connect and Assist. Welcome to this episode of a Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Aaron Rosansky. He's the Director of Distribution Markets over at Vanco. How are you doing, Aaron? Doing well. Glad to be here. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. Then we have my good friend, Mr. Steve Greenblatt. He's the CEO of Control Concepts in New Jersey. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. All right, before we jump in, uh, I want to give a quick congratulations to James Chen and Stuart Tickle. Uh, they are the newly elected members of the board uh, over at Cedia, as well as congratulations to a good friend of the show, Mr. Alex Capasellantro, who is the new chairman from Josh AI. So that is fantastic news for the association, as those gentlemen are uh, going to be doing some great things. There's also some changes to the exec board, et cetera. Um, you got Google, you can go look at that up. Uh, we are going to kick this off with a story that comes to us from residential systems and a good friend of the show, Mr. Henry Clifford learning from Lego. Uh, he asked what, if your team knows what good and done actually looks like, uh, to sum up Henry's article real quickly over the Christmas break, his daughter, got a lovely uh, Lego set, as did all of my kids. And what you think is going to take days to assemble takes uh, children with those instruction books like hours. Uh, Steve, you get to look forward to this. It's coming soon for you. Uh, but he, he, he prefaced this is with the way in which that experience mirrored some of the stuff that they're doing at Livewire and you know, trying to understand if they are showing, you know, what a project looks like at completion and if they're articulating that well to their customers. Um, Aaron, I want to start with you on this. A as an industry, do we know how to detail what done looks like in a way that our end users, our customers can actually understand? I think so. And I think it, it, it's, it's continually, um, working to get to get better in that in that concept of um what is what is truly done um you know i i love the i love the article not just because of a huge lego fan myself and put together many many uh sets over the break um but uh he, he kind of hit on the head that um you know as you as you lay out a job and and, and prep to offer that uh the end user the experience that they that they want um the the details um, matter, and if, if if you, the installer, um, are able to illustrate that to the end user step by step of what their experience is going to be at the end, 
and, and really guide them through that, through that process, um, I think is uh, extremely important. And, and I, I've seen it that, you know, our um, integrators that we've worked with um, on the manufacturer side um, are, are doing that, are doing that on a daily basis and, you know, continue to uh, get better at that. You know, we, we use our, our sales team and our design team to try to illustrate that from, from our concept when we design projects. Um, and it's extremely important, um, giving that, uh, that, that end user, that experience that they're, that they're looking for. Um, and the details matter, um, step-by-step. Step. So as much as we can prepare the, uh, the customer for that, um, I think helps all of us in the end and, and sets us up for a successful job. Yeah, that's a really good point. Steve, how do we go about simplifying the complicated with a level of detail that again shows that it's not that simple? <laughs> Honestly, you're describing what programming is. It, you know, pro programming <laughs> is, is really that magic that, that people don't really understand, but it creates an outcome. And the programmer's skill level is uh, often reflected in how easy it looks. So a programmer with a greater skill level is going to make the outcome look like it was just a snap and it didn't take a lot of effort and everything came together very nicely. But programmer that struggles, you, you have a little bit more respect for all that went into it. Um, it also has to do with what, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, the the uh, what, When we're looking at something that has been done before or something that may, may be... Um, uh, a li little bit more basic or or a little bit more straightforward the, those things come together quite nicely when you're in the custom realm and you're doing things that you haven't done before the, the struggle is part of the the uh the process honestly and what mm -hmm. what I liked about this article too is that often we talk about things in terms that we know we talk about things in in the way that makes sense to us and and we talk about what is the, the what are those building blocks and pieces that have to go together what is the what are the the technical aspects but but we we forget about that big picture that the client really appreciates they don't necessarily know very few clients walk behind a rack and they look at all the beautiful wiring or they realize everything that goes into making the aesthetics of a project go smoothly but they really appreciate the outcome when it when it's there so it's uh, it's something that that it, we really should remind ourselves of very often, and I, I think the idea that you can also make a picture be something that is a, a lot more digestible to somebody um, it is another thing to re remind yourself of. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, let's. Hello, this is Steve Greenblatt, host of Aviation's Estate of Control podcast. Each month, Rich Fergosa and I explore trending topics, foundational subject matter related to control programming and automation in the audiovisual industry. We speak with a variety of AV professionals who share their perspective, knowledge, and experiences. Please join us for this monthly conversation. Check out Estate of Control on avnation.tv or wherever you get your podcasts. Change topics for a second. This comes to us from... CE Pro and a, a good friend of the show, Mr. Arlen Swagger. Snap One rolls out Control 4 Connect and Assist, uh, which is a recurring revenue solution uh, for the uh, the community Control 4 dealers. If you, how do we how do we say this nicely? If you are a member of any of the Control 4 forums, you know all about this because <laughs> it has been 
lighting up uh, social media across the board. But go read through the article. It gives a really good overview of what the new control and assist program does and how that the, the pricing lays out and you know how it affects existing customers as well as new customers in the future. But long and short, with an, uh, a, a base subscription fee of essentially $900 US, customers get a proactive system monitoring and access through the Control4 Assist team of programmers, technicians, and certified network administrators to solve questions, answer, uh, or sorry, answer questions, solve issues, and manage the customer experience. Steve, let me let me start with you on this. There's there's a ton of technical stuff we could dig into on this, um, but I kind of want to have a, a a larger conversation about if this is the future for is primarily the residential space because uh, this is a resi show, but really the AV space in general. Do we expect to see some form of subscription or licensing come down for? normal usage of your you know smart home system or automation platform at your office at your place of work in the future is this going to become the norm i think the simple answer is yes i think the uh that that i mean if you look at the way you know apple and all the apps and and i'm, I'm an apple user rather than an android user i'm sure it's the same as there all the apps used to be a purchase fixed price and everything has moved to a subscription. And I think we, we pay subscription for almost everything and we, we don't own music. We buy, buy a subscription. We, so every, everything these days is subscription based. I think that that is a trend that it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, I, I think that the way they're doing it and, and the relationship of the manufacturer and the end user client here that that's where things i think are going to get a little sticky and i think that that's probably where some of the friction is coming in and that the the manufacturer is dictating the the relationship and and the integrator really kind of has to go along with it um so mm -hmm. i think that that has uh probably where people are raising a, a lot of flags and saying that this is not the way we do business but the the idea that that it's subscription based i think shouldn't come as a surprise and i also believe that more and more products are being software upgradable and and i think that by paying for a subscription you you take something that you bought once and you and and that grows over time and that can have greater features and in the end you probably will benefit because you're you're taking this investment that you made and it's not getting outdated as quickly as it used to and and um, with a subscription model, you you can continue to have updated features. Um, I, I don't know that that somehow manufacturers have to recoup some of that cost. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, Aaron, I I saved the we'll say the easy question for you. <laughs> I, I I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place on on these topics in this story. We have customers in in my company who will bemoan the fact that their camera system doesn't work four years down the road remotely via their, their phone because the manufacturer stopped supporting that line of NVRs and building the app to keep up with Apple's OS platform, right? So they'll bite our heads off. They'll bite our heads off over, uh, you know, Sonos when they made their transition in their product line and a bunch of products kind of rolled off. 
at the same time, if we go and pitch this type of a system to them, they'll also bite our heads off because they don't want to pay that, that subscription rate. Is it completely going to come down to the way we articulate this to the customer and the way the manufacturers articulate this to us? I believe so. I mean, the, the ability to, um, offer, offer the, the customer a, a solution that will be, um, reliable, that will be able to upgrade if needed down the road, um, uh, and, and, and remote access for, for the integrators to, to, to tap into that is, is important. And I think the customer, the end user needs to be fully aware of those, those two scenarios. You know, you can have, you can have bucket a, that full access, full support, um, you know, that, that costs X and here's, here's bucket B that, um, was more price point price sensitive for your application. Um, but you're going to miss out on, on solutions and rely on, um, you know, access as the integrator can support it over the long term. Um, so I think it's, it really does come down to the fact that the manufacturers need to work with integrators um, to give them a, a, a roadmap on how they can um, facilitate and support the end user. And in the same breath, the integrators communicating that, that information to the, uh, to the customer. Um, you know, it is a, it is a, you know, um, kind of a, a team effort, group effort in that fact that manufacturers have a responsibility to offer, offer those, those solutions to integrators. Um, and in the same breath, integrators to, to promote that and um, fully, fully illustrate that to the end user um, from a, a cost standpoint. And, yes. and, you know, what those, what those uh, specs can, can support in the long term. Steve, let me, just ask you one more question before we move on to the next one. And again, I'm, I'm kind of pulling this back to my company uh, just as a tangible point. We pay for a lot of software subscriptions, right? We have the entire Adobe suite. We pay for SketchUp. We pay for our accounting platforms. We pay for our uh, sales tracking or CRM. I don't have a huge problem paying the astronomical fees that we pay for that uh, over the course of a couple of years, because I know that there are significant features that get added uh, sometimes daily. Um, I know with, for example, like Photoshop, they are changing stuff every couple of days and throwing new bits of AI that are shockingly, ama shockingly amazing. So I don't have a problem with that. When I look at some of the other platforms, especially within our channel, and look at what their updates are over the base of these subscriptions. I don't necessarily see a massive value there. Is there a way that integrators won't get stuck with, you know, selling the dream and not being able to fulfill it because they're at the mercy of manufacturers that may or may not do a lot to really add value to that subscription? Definitely will. Yeah. There's, I mean, they're, they, they have to trust and they have, they have to be buying into something that they know is proven. I guess, you know, it's similar to if you're buying um, anything that, that they you know in, in the past we would buy hardware and we would buy um, a system that we, we hope that was upgradable. We hope that we'd be able to uh, not have to 
um, be outdated. Um, and, and it's, and I think the same is true with the subscription model is that you, you have, you have to have some trust that this is a partner and, and, and the manufacturer is going to be able to provide value for, for, for that cost. And, and honestly, the integrator is going to be responsible for selling that. So I, th I think that it, it's, um, it, there's, there's certainly risk involved and there's certainly It's certainly going to be a new dynamic. And I think it would probably be, um, advisable that, um, that, that, um, control for any other manufacturer doing this kind of ro kind of lays out a roadmap so that they can share the what what it is that they will be providing in the next year or, or years to come to show that this is something that's worth investing in. Yeah, that's a really good point. We'll have to watch and see where that goes. All right, let's change topics again. This also comes to us from CE Pro Consumer IoT Groups. Uh, have provided feedback to the FCC to try and keep the cyber trust mark voluntary as well as uh, protected. Uh, they want to, you know, again, see this happen, uh, but they want it protected across the board. Aaron, let me, let me start with you. We, we've talked about this uh, cyber trust mark a couple of times on the show. How much of this comes down to, the manufacturers wanting to actually participate in this and again, see some form of actual value, some sort of, some form of tangible value in going through the rigmarole to qualify for this and be able to, you know, slap this on a product that hopefully the, the consumer will recognize and, and understand what it means. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the kind of the ultimate question of, you know, at, at what cost, um, does it, does it, um, do we all find benefit from in the, in the long run? Um, you know, it, it's, I think it's extremely important cybersecurity in, in, in all aspects of, of our business, both residential and commercial, um, and the products that we, um, that we manufacture and products that our installers are, are putting into these jobs. It's important to, um, have that, have that security and offer that to the, to the end user. But at, at what cost at the end of the day, um, do we see return um, as a manufacturer, as an integrator that's buying those products that would have this um, this label on it that you know uh, offers up the cybersecurity? Because I'm assuming that's not going to come at a, uh, a free of cost, uh, <laughs> you know, price tag. So, and, and in all honesty, I mean, yeah, that's that's the big thing is does that added cost justify um, you know the implant uh, the the product getting into the into the job and uh, passing it on to the end user. Will the end user um, um, allow for that that price tag to be elevated and um, support support those products accordingly? And that that's that's the biggest question. But um, um, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, cost is what's going to really be uh, a big factor whether this you know continues forward and um, if it is at one point becoming mandatory. Steve, do you expect this to become mandatory? Is there is there a true value in it being voluntary versus mandatory? Well, I think that it could provide a competitive advantage to manufacturers that that commit to it and invest in it. And I think for certain applications, certain scenarios, it could provide great value. I, I come from the commercial side. I could see where there's certainly um, need for there to be more uh, of an attention to the, the cybersecurity. But I do also think that there are very, um, 
that very, very famous affluent um, end users uh, that that have residential systems that are probably just as secure or, or need to be just as secure as some corporate systems. So, so I do think that there's a lot of value in um, using this as a differentiator, and I think that. Um, that, that cybersecurity and cyber insurance and 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 all that goes along with um, the the uh, precautions taken to make systems more secure are becoming are only going to grow and and I yeah. think that there's going to be more attention to this and and unfortunately what's going to probably push it over the edge or are the times where we're going to see those breaches and that's when people are going to really put their foot down and say that there more needs to be done. So um, again, similar to what Aaron said, cost is a factor, um, and and also you're only as good as the weakest link. So it, it, mm -hmm. you could have a pro certain products that are um, either approved or or you know pass certain tests, but if you have others that don't, how how secure is your overall system? Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, we'll hit our last topic of the day real quickly, uh, just because I want to. This comes to us from Residential Tech Today, the Resilient Smart Home Series Part 2, Other Systems in the Home. Go read through this article. It, it does also link to the initial article. Um, but Jay in this article is talking about uh, not only he's got a definition for his definition, that's terrible, um, of a resilient home, uh, but he talks about a couple different things in this uh, part specifically energy, water and heating and cooling. So I, I don't want to like nitpick on this directly, even though it'll sound like I'm going to, but Steve, do we have any business playing in the space of a quote unquote resilient home, or should we be coming at this from the reliable home? standpoint this is a topic or a, or a conversation that's a little new to me um, but it, but I could see the value in it I think the you know being able to to monitor systems in a home being able to have um, some way of having sensors and, and 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 understanding what's going on and maybe um, have alerts or or trigger backups I think is where we can come in, but I don't necessarily believe that our industry is is the solution for building a, a resilient home. In short, I I just don't. I it it's not um not really what we're set up for. But but I I think that there we can play a part in it potentially. Aaron, there are some good points that Jay makes in this. Right, you can have backup power systems that we can automate in our channel. Um, there's quite a few. Uh, battery backup companies in the in the industry. There's a couple of solar companies in the industry, and uh, you know companies that make systems that allow you to to swap that over. Um, I haven't really seen that from the water standpoint, where you can you know have your standard supply and then a backup supply, etc. Is this a space that is large enough to justify integrators really dabbling in it, even? I feel it almost becomes a um, a territory thing too. You know, mm -hmm. throughout the country, you know, 
people in the Southeast, integrators in the Southeast deal with different weather factors than, than other parts of the country. And same in, in, in California, same here in the Midwest and Chicago, right? And I think as, as uh, integrators can do their due diligence and research and set the homeowner up with the best possible um, scenario for you know, God forbid the, the worst case scenarios that they may factor or come, come into a contact with, um, whether it's, you know, um, storms, um, you know, uh, you know, water backup, you know, is, is something that's, that would be new, but, you know, can they prepare the home the way that, um, and give the, the customer the best experience if, if needed that a, a negative situation arises and, mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, it, it comes down to the, the integrators doing their due diligence and, and research with the products that they purchase, um, setting up with the battery backups um, and, and discussing that with the homeowner as well, too, as they as they are preparing and, and um, building that that um, bill of goods out that, you know, it's it's this is this is here to set up for success. Um, there are some situations that are out of their control and they need to be upfront with the, the, with the homeowner as well, because again, there's some, you know, weather factors that are just not, not, not on the, uh, integrators, um, uh, you know, con- under their control. So mm-hmm. again, I think it's, it's important, but each territory of the country is, is a little bit different in, in the nuances that they, they face, um, um, throughout their, uh, throughout their region. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so definitely go read that article. Uh, I, I'm going to plug something completely separate to this. Uh, if you really want, if you want to play in this space and you want to figure out a little bit what this space really looks like, uh, go read Mike Glover's book. I believe it's called Resilient. Uh, you can get that on Amazon or Fieldcraft or anything like that. Um, but it'll it'll take this article and really show you another aspect of it. All right, gentlemen, let's wrap it there. Thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, Aaron, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Vanco, where can they do that? Yeah, so you can visit uh, our website, vanco1.com, um, where you can check out all our all our solutions, products that we offer. Uh, we'll also be at ISE, um, I believe, yeah, next week, uh, booth 4E170. Uh, myself and uh, our team will be out there. So really excited for the, uh, for the show next week. That's awesome. Steve, thank you for being here. If people want to connect with you, learn more about control concepts, where can they do that? You can reach me on social media, me at Steve Greenblatt. You can reach my company control concepts at controlconcepts.net. I too will be at ISE. I will be attending the AB nation tweet up. So please uh, look for me there. If you're going to be at ISE, um, I'm sure we can provide more information. I think it's in the HD base T booth, uh, and, um, looking forward to seeing a bunch of familiar faces. Um, I also do the, uh, programming and control podcast on aviation.tv. So please uh, check that out as well, uh, with Rich Fragoza, uh, that's called the state of control. And I also have, a another podcast called Ask the Programmer with James King. So um, all those uh, programming related things, I'd love to talk to more people about it. And, um, and thanks for having me on. You're just a media mogul over there. All right. Uh, thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter or X and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals 
that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.